Graham Goodwin, it is time for the Weekend Sports Cars on the Little Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. I am not at a European Le Mans Series race at the moment, <laughs> but you are. So you're busy. I'm busy with non-ELMS-related things. So I don't know how long this episode's going to go, but we're going to try and get in as much as we can. So why don't we, maybe in the shortest opening and start ever dive right into whatever category you say we must do let's go for it uh, you're absolutely right here in barcelona by the way on the seafront of barcelona in our lovely airbnb uh, we're going to kick off this week with imsa we are and a couple of questions we are so we're going to kick off this week with imsa a couple of questions rather oddly on about the same kind of area which is gt2 not early century gt2 but current gt2 We've got questions from Mike Drotleff from Diego Carabana. Uh, Mike Drotleff says, are the new GT2-class cars, like the R8 and the Porsche, are the IMSA as behind as a series, to its resume, a weekend series? And Diego says, what do you think about the possibility of GT2 becoming the future car, maybe, for the GTD IMSA category? The more focused around drivers would allow GT3 cars to be faster for GTD Pro. Thanks for the podcast. He says, regards from Spain, if you're anywhere close, give us a wave, Diego. Yeah, thanks, Diego. Uh, also, as our dear listeners know, we do our best to have the finest of telecommunication connections, sometimes <clears throat> depending on the region uh, Graham's in, or I might be, it's not always 100% perfect. So apologies in advance, but uh, this is what we got this time around. I've heard zero Graham, I've heard zero Diego, and zero Mike on GT2 cars entering into IMSA's hemisphere whether it's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, a standalone category, a single, you know, single formula type series, I have not heard a thing. What I expected to have been discussed, hey, what do you think? They're here, but there aren't many of them, but hey, it's a new thing, should we? I would, of course, I would expect this to have been raised at some point in time by one or more people, but probably not much more than just that. Hey, it's here. It's a thing. What do you think? Oh, there aren't that many of them. Well, that doesn't really support doing anything with it. So I think the simple answer here is if we learn about name, the wide variety of brands that we know of that play in say GT three, GT four, or some new ones that might want to get into racing that currently aren't. And if we all of a sudden have a huge range of possibilities to purchase and run gt2 machinery then i think we might have a thing but to my knowledge we don't so it's not a thing uh yep i tend to agree uh we've got the first european round happening this weekend at monza only 12 cars one of which is not a gt2 it's a ferrari challenge car uh and dominated in terms of numbers by the little ktm hanged up by the way um uh, part of that grid as a bronze rank driver now 70 years old hans and uh well let's hope things improve for gt2 but it's been a bit of a slow burn and the timing has been pretty awful let's move on um it says andres lantos says let me pour out my concerns he says regarding gtd pro and bopness hashtag bopness gt3 formula originally made for customer racing and hashtag me personally fears when you let the manufacturers have more direct involvement in such a category it could cause problems some brands buy advertising boards for races, spend more activation money, or are willing to spend more other stuff. And in return, they start pushing for what he says is a, quote, fairer BOP. 
Um, what do you think, MP? I don't disagree. I would also say that there's been a pretty consistent mix of inconsistency, consistent inconsistency today on the weekend sports cars. We have what we always, I always call world challenge that fully embraced manufacturer programs and GT three, then ran them out. We know that with the SRO series, the blank pain stare blank face pain series as well. Definitely whether they managed to present it as if manufacturers weren't fully invested or not, I don't know, but we know for sure that the presence of manufacturers directly involved with teams um, is a thing that was allowed and that has wavered in terms of a thumbs up or thumbs down, stay, go, we love you, we hate you. Uh, We know IMSA did it, what, in 2017, wasn't it, Graham? with uh, Acura and Lexus for their first years in GT Daytona with their GT3 machines, allowing full, we're not even hiding it, we acknowledge it, and we're allowing it for one year, full manufacturer participation, and then, air quote, handing it off to privateers afterwards. I don't disagree with anything that Andres is saying in terms of, look, if it's designed from the outset to be a, non-factory pro-am thing let's maintain the purity of that i get it without some sort of draconian control though i don't know how you ever truly establish that we've spoken about this before graham on the show many times this year in imsa and other places where gt3 cars uh, are used in pro championships manufacturers are subsidizing some i don't know i don't want to say all but some of a lot of them whether it's a free car technical support straight up money parts and pieces hey here's spare motors and gearboxes and bodywork and right there is something changing hands from the manufacturers in the leading categories where gt3 is used Got to pull out Juan Montoya here. It is what it is. Uh, Intent, great. Real policing of it. It's where we're always going to fall short. It's why we're always going to have these little sneak around things. So when you, to your point here, uh, pushing for fair BOP and so on and so forth, it's trying to be many things at once. And it's not necessarily optimum in any gram is that a fair way of putting it when you have so many things you're trying to be not pro but we know there's a pro undercurrent hey these are factory drivers that teams can hire they can buy a support package from porsche or this or that and they get you know gtlm champions lamal winners and whatnot oh you're the co-driver okay i mean uh, maybe that's not full factory but boy you sure are connected at the hip um, and so on and so forth. It just seems to me accepting the fact that the GT three model has so many compromises and is trying to be so many things at once. You're, you're never going to get pure clarity in everything being decent and in order. It's a kind of, it's a, 
a general theme that uh, it runs throughout sports car racing at the moment. It's absolutely here in Barcelona with a variety of measures that might well come up in questions later. Yet compromise is involved at the moment with the fiscal realities of global motorsport, and there's inevitability with that. And we're talking here about whether or not you've got a professional-based GT class in IMSA racing or not, because clearly GTLM has run its course. So you've either got GTD Pro, or here's the here's the reality: there isn't going to be a, a pro class of GT uh, cars. Let's let's hashtag wait and see about that. Let's move on, Kevin Kemp. He says MP and GG. I don't get it. What does VAG, folks with an Audi Group, uh, see in LMDH that Ford does not? To have one auto group strongly consider four separate LMDH programs versus Ford's being lukewarm at best has uh, Kevin puzzled. Can you enlighten us as to why LMDH would seem so appealing to one but not the other? I wonder, Graham, if the answer is any more complicated than... Who is rooting for it? Who is rooting against it at the most senior levels? So it yep. is clear that culturally at VAG, I think it's just Volkswagen Group these days, as one of our listeners said, hey, you don't need to put the Audi in the middle anymore. Um, their, their DNA across many brands, across so many of the senior leaders of those brands involves competition. So I think the easy answer is don't look at the viability of the class so much, although that's a big part of why the Volkswagen Group has said, hey, LMDH, you bet. Uh, We're going to get everything out there. There's going to be a Ducati if you're not careful. Um, (laughs) Hey, this makes a ton of sense to us financially, promotionally. This fits who we are as people. Let's go. Would say that. Ford CEO Jim Farley, unabashed lover of motor racing, vintage racer, has beautiful Lola prototype, uh, what, a Ford Cobra, or Cobra, I think it is. This guy's racing every weekend. Seemingly, he's not running, I don't know, one of the world's biggest auto companies. We know Jim Farley's a massive fan, and if it was in his sole power to flip the switch on Ford, jumping into LMDH, I'm sure he would. I just don't know if the other folks are on the same page. And I'm not claiming to have deep inside knowledge that they aren't. I just know that the thing I hear out of the Volkswagen group is tons of people rooting for it. Ding, ding, ding. We get what appears to be three to four brands coming. On the Ford side, The thing I continue to hear is, man, Jim Farley is the biggest advocate for racing, you name it, and not just LMDH, but again, all kinds of things. I just haven't heard the, and there's a chorus of amens that come back uh, when he is preaching such things. So it might be just as simple as that, Kev. You've got more LMDH slash motor racing evangelists at one brand uh, than the other. And that's why we are expecting the uh, the the German class subclass in LMDH, which also might be just about the entire class based on how many uh, we expect to be coming. Let's pick a couple more out here. Um, 
James Counter, another MDH question from James. Might be a few years late to the party, he says, but is the reason Cadillac chose Delara for the DPI program due to their pre-existing relationship from IndyCar? To my knowledge, that is 100% uh, the reason. This is a company that has been a huge part of uh, Chevrolet's participation dating back to Oldsmobile days in the Indy Racing League in two, uh, 1997. So, yeah, uh, this, to my knowledge, is just a great continuation of a relationship that's been built. A lot of trust. A lot of, I would say, more than anything, Graham, a lot of understanding of the company's capabilities. That's That's ultimately the thing that leads most manufacturers to sign with one brand over the other between your Delara's, Liget's, Areca's, Multimatic's, they're all exceptionally good at what they do. They all have amazing track records and a lot of different sports car related things often comes down to who, you know, the best out of those options, how much, you know, about those in this case for options and yeah not a surprise that they went with delara should we tell folks who we've heard among the non uh confirmed lmdh brands uh, we've heard is looking hard at delara or should we keep that to ourselves uh let's keep it to ourselves for a little while well, a couple of questions coming up might be quite interesting with that one but i think there's it's a uh, <laughs> it's an interesting one, isn't it? Got a couple of conversations underway at the moment with prospective chassis suppliers that could come to interesting conclusions in the next couple of days or a couple of weeks. Um, but there's a lot still out there to be won, and a lot of manufacturers involved in discussions beyond LMDH, by the way, um, that could be very interesting indeed, or may come to absolutely nothing. I think that's the that's the key at the moment. It's well, a, a conversation that will form part of a daily sports car piece, which will certainly write for racer.com as well to do with the hydrogen regulations. And I have a number, and that number came from the highest source I've got access to, and that number, in terms of the manufacturers still around the table, guess guess. I have no, I truly have no clue. Eight. Eight? Wow. Yep. I, that, that's double now, what I thought the number might be. There you go. Now, here's, the, here's the thing. Do I think there will be eight programs? Of course I don't. I think we'll be very lucky if we get two. But um, I think I'm on pretty good ground in guessing where the first one might be. And, you know, so there's interesting things still going on. Aspirations are being... How can I put this? Aspirated. Diluted. Well, diluted, I think, is the point. It's that, and that's for two reasons. One is because the reality of where we currently are with the, uh, the position of world trade, travel and logistics difficulties, and the knock-on effects, of course, industry with the financial position. But it doesn't mean these things are going away. I think it just means that they're being the can is being kicked a little further down the street. So... Um, I mean, things like, for instance, MP, as we talked about the show last week, we've been thinking all the all the while up until to, uh, around 2023. Not the case. This second um, splurge, if you like, of manufacturers that are very much focused on 2024. 2024 is when we should be seeing what's coming forward with hydrogen for the first time. 
And it may be that we do see the first iteration of that, but will that be when you get the, the, the that on a roll, or will that come in 25 or 26? They're exciting years to come here, and we're going to be talking about multiple OEM programs on multiple platforms unless they mess it up. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take go. two more to close IMSA. Uh, Damien Peachman says, Marshall, if Acura's LMDH happens to go race at Le Mans, what would that name be under? Would it be Acura? Would it be Honda, which is the brand uh, known and used outside the U.S.? Answer to that, Damien, I would imagine, is fairly straightforward. All depends on who's paying for it. If this is Acura, if this is an American adventure to go over to Europe, my guess is it would be under the Acura badge, knowing it's meant to use the 24 Hours of Le Mans as a promotional item back here in the States. If this is something used to promote, uh, if this is something, say, coming out of Japan uh, or Europe, for an LMDH effort using this Acura LMDH chassis, I'm guessing it would be under Honda. Uh, that's at least been the norm in the past. Um, my, my, uh, my understanding, MP, and I have had a conversation in the last 24 hours about this, is Honda at the moment is the vastly more likely prospect. There we go. Uh, Otto Kinzel, I love your question. Send that back in. We're on a bit pressed for a little bit of time here. Uh, the one I was just going to take to close because it made me giggle was from at the real B.E. Morton. Uh, he <laughs> says, why all the hate on Daytona prototypes lately? Granted, they were not the most aesthetically pleasing nor performance oriented. <laughs> That's a great statement to make after asking the question because you kind of <laughs> answered the question with your statement. Uh, but hashtag me personally feels that they saved U.S. sports car racing at the time. Right class at the right time, question mark. Well, again, I love this, and thank you, the real B.E. Morton. Uh, maybe a little quick note of clarification. I wouldn't remove, I, I would not use the word lately about why all the hate on Daytona prototypes. Nope. Uh, it's consistent. Any and every opportunity <laughs> they're brought up, I do not pass on saying how much I hated those things. And it's not just remote. I wasn't a reporter. When I first interacted with them, I was a race engineer, engineering one, a Riley, and I love Bill Riley, and that of all the DPs was the best. But my God, it was a pig. So yeah, ugly and slow, and I don't hear a lot of, hey, 20th anniversary of Grand Am and the Daytona prototype. Boy, uh, set your calendars, and I don't hear, I don't have any drivers when I speak to those who've been in Daytona prototypes, LMP1, LMP2, whatever else, any of the drivers that I speak with, this is just sharing fact, not opinion, fact. Uh, you speak to a Dario, you speak to a this, to a that, to those who we, uh, McNish, uh, run down the list of all the drivers oh, yeah. where we go, wow, they're amazing. Uh, they're they're all-time greats. None of them have positive things to say about Daytona prototypes. So when the oh, people I'll go further. Well, I was just going to say when further. the people who actually performed inside them have nothing positive to say about them, uh, that's maybe an indicator. Um and then the one final thing to close on here, it didn't save anything, my friend. 
now there were a lot of them for sure uh, in the mid 2000s. There, they were very cheap to buy, very cheap to run. Whenever that happens, we see a lot of whatever model that happens to be. I would not confuse the fact that there were tons of them at one point in time as saving anything. There was this other series taking place at the same exact time called the American Le Mans series, which was far more popular, putting up much bigger ratings, getting far more people through the turnstiles to come and watch that was beloved, uh, had major factory participation, created all kinds of amazing memories. Uh, there's, I, I do wonder, and this is just my own ignorance uh, among my many ignorances, how the threat or narrative, Graham, that DP saved U.S. sports car racing came to be. Because I, having worked on both sides, been in both sides, covered both sides as a reporter, uh, I can't fathom how that narrative has come to be. Uh, if there was no America Le Mans series, then sure, maybe we could say Grand Am did something and kept it afloat. Grand Am was the redheaded stepchild of American sports car racing that it employed a lot of people. It allowed a lot of teams to get started. There's a lot of positives that came from it for sure, but saving no loved popular. No. Uh, and then I'll just share my own thought here. Uh, they were not the most aesthetically pleasing nor performance oriented. No, wait a minute. That was a real B.E. Morton. So anyways, thanks for that fun little bit, Graham, but please go further. I'll just go further and say, you said that uh, people didn't have any positive things to say about them. People had some very negative things to say about them. We mentioned Alan McNish, and we did this thread through the first lockdown in the UK with best car, worst car, dream car, and the DP came up with Al uh, for his worst car. There's another one on the way. Uh, one I did Balmer away in the Gulf with Ollie Gavin. His worst car indeed was a DP, and I seem to recall the phrase he used was, and I think I'm quoting, there was something fundamentally wrong with the front end of that car. It was entirely unpredictable. Ollie thought it was just the, the particular insert name of DP brand that it was that was had something fundamentally wrong. Until he spoke to, I'm pretty certain it was Alan McNish, who confirmed exactly the same handling characteristic uh, was pre- uh, present in his exactly the same version of the same car. So, yeah, um, fundamentally unpleasant things, I'm afraid. Um, right, we're going to crack on. Have we got time to uh, add to this part of the uh, story? Hello, Rocky. Uh, that was Rocky. You can spot there. Spot them by voice now. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, well, I've got five-ish minutes, uh, maybe ten, before I need to shut it down right now. Should we tell folks we're going to record this in two parts? Um, we're going to record it in two parts. Do you want to <laughs> dive into something else for about ten minutes? Well, let's let's crack on with a bit of Weck Aslam's, um Elms and Aco, because I think there's one question we can clear up straight away, one series of questions uh, that uh, is kicks, off, kicks it off at the top of the, uh, the list here, MP. Well... That would mean I read something to you about Glickenhaus Spa and yep. stuff. This comes from our pal Sean Crockett. It says, as Glickenhaus have confirmed they won't be running at Spa, does anyone get the feeling, much as I hate to say it, as I want them to do well, that there's a chance that Portimao and perhaps Monza may suffer the same fate? I do think they'll, need, they'll quote, need to make hay whilst the sun shines. 
since it's the early days of this hypercar formula, as once Peugeot and Ferrari are racing along with Toyota, it's going to be very difficult to get good results. <sighs> Always worrying when you say, yeah. hey, we're going to be there, but by be there we mean not be there. Well, here's the thing. Um, no matter what you think of hypercar or LDH, building a top-class race car isn't easy. It's particularly not easy when the rule set says that once you've homologated that car, you're set for five years. Okay. Mm. So what Jim, Jim's point here is, we think we can find more. Now, what do you think Jim Glickenhouse's uh, objective with that car is, MP? I'm going to ask you, as a person who clearly knows not a lot about sports car racing, but just 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 give a kind of an immediate uh, response here. Might it be Jim Glickenhouse's dream? is to go and win the six hours of Spa or the six or whatever it is we're going to be racing at Portimao. Are they the objectives? We know he's not going to do a full season. We know he's not going to do the flyaways. He's been very clear about that. Or might it just be, Marshall Pruitt, that what Jim Glickenhouse is doing is presenting the best possible package he can for the race that he truly wants to win, which is the Le Mans 24 hours. Is, might that possibly, maybe, be what's going on here rather than some grand conspiracy that in some way uh, is looking to kind of bow out gently with a car that just isn't performing. He wants the very best he can before he puts his name at the bottom and signs off a monogation for a car that will not then change for five years. That's what's going on. It's a damn shame that uh, we're not going to see the cars at Spa. It certainly was an issue of the plan, um, you know, fully uh, confirmed by Jim at the time. But nothing in this world right now is easy. Uh, everything is taking longer than it otherwise should. Anything you need from a supplier takes longer, whether or not it's in the building of it, the designing of it, the dispatch and delivery of it. It's all taking longer. And I suspect that's what's hitting this program, is things are just taking longer to get to the conclusion they hoped it was going to get to, Days can turn into weeks, and I think that's what we're dealing with here. So, you know, I, I mean, do I think Jim could do himself a few more favours in terms of, at times, what his kind of tone is on social media? Yeah, he probably could. But here's the thing. I don't suppose he gives a crap. It's a straight answer. <laughs> he's having a ball. I don't suppose he does. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's by that's far the, yeah, the most open person on the planet in terms of what's going on with his... Um, his race cars, the fact that multiple news outlets have got that story, I've no doubt that if I'd chosen to pick up the phone to Jim, he'd have told me as well. It's just that I didn't. I was busy doing other things. Good luck to those that have written the story. Um, yeah, do I doubt for a second that they're, they're, they're right? No, not for one single second, because here's the thing. Jim will tell you what his intention is to do at that particular point. Sometimes this great world of ours at the moment is doling out challenges that mean our aspirations and our hopes can't be delivered. That's what we're dealing with here, not. One thing Jim Glickenhouse most certainly is not, is a smoke and mirrors man. He is doing what he says he's doing. It's just taking longer um, than he hoped it was going to take to achieve those things. There we go. Laying the smack down, Graham Goodwin. Yay. Uh, all right, I'm just parsing through some of the other uh, Glickenhouse related things. We need to have an all Glickenhouse episode. Maybe that, uh, that might answer oh. a lot of things. I'm not totally sure. Um, why don't I do this, which I rarely do just to start off. 
uh, after the first series of questions, where do you want to go next? Because there's a fair amount. Just we're going to roll for maybe five more minutes or so before hitting the pause button. Well, let's, well, let's have a quick uh, crack on in uh, what, because where I am, uh, there's a couple of questions. I think Daniel Summerskill, James Counter, uh, and a couple of others with some questions about what's going on here in Barcelona. All righty. We're going to go with uh, <laughs> our pal SRA Smoking Puppy 41's taking the piss out of me here. One for MP. How many LMP3s are going to finish this weekend's four hours of Barcelona? I tell you. Um, <laughs> I love the, the aggro here. Um, let's see. We're all struggling to find the questions. It's, well, no, it's I mean, I'm, I'm staring at them all. I'm just trying to find one, uh, yeah. find one that you might like. Um, you grab it. Read it to yourself. Okay. So Daniel Summerskill says, ask me what my predictions for the new season of the ELMS and Michelin and Cup are. Can we expect any surprises? More United Autosports domination. Hashtag me personally. He says he likes the look of the 28 Edict Sports. Orica, Patrick Pile on board. Could be a team to watch this season in LMP2. Well, I spent most of today um, in conversation with a variety of people to do with the TV production. I can confirm, by the way, I will be back and doing commentary with my good friend and colleague, Johnny Palmer, this season with the LMS and with Michel Le Mans Cup. Delighted to report that. Um, and one of the, the themes that has been coming out here is just how much new there is in the European Le Mans series. Not necessarily in terms of the cars, but in terms of the driver lineups and, and all manner of other things. There are It's a handful of cars in the 41 car field that will, we hope, be starting on Sunday that have got the same drivers, the same team and the same car for 2021 over 2020. What are the cars I think you should be looking for? Uh, well, I think you'd be a brave person to look very much further than the 26 G-Drive Racing Bahagar Pro Car, the RS01, uh, which has got Roman Rusinov uh, uh, aboard the car with the, uh, I think you're going to find Mercurial um, Franco Colapinto, 17-year-old uh, Argentinian racer. We've already seen racing uh, very convincingly in the Asian Le series. And Nick de Vries. Uh, and we all know about Nick DeVries and how quick he's been in an LMP2 car. That, I think, will be one to watch. Got two quality entries from United Autosport. You're absolutely right. Uh, the 2018 export car is indeed uh, looking pretty tasty as well. But then beyond that, you've got cars at Panis Racing. Um, uh, it's looking uh, tasty too. And don't forget either... Uh, the newcomer to LMP2 for both the WEC and the LMS with two separate cars. Uh, Team WRT is a name to conjure with, and Robert Kubica, uh forming part of the uh, LMS crew there. Um, that, I think, too, is going to be... I think what we're going to have here, and remember, it's not one class, now it's two classes, LMP2, LMP2 Pro-Am, and broadly speaking, even Stevens across the two, I think we've got a hell of a race coming in LMP2, uh, LMP3, deeper than ever. And I think there's five or six cars there that if United Autosports um, don't run the dominant season that they've been, uh, that they managed to deliver in 2020, I think there's four or five cars there that could give them a bit of a fight. And don't forget GTE either. We've got nine cars 
um, there with, would you believe, MP, a WeatherTech liveried full-season ELMS car uh, from Proton Competition Ooh. with none other than Jim, Jimmy Bruni uh, forming part of that uh, lineup. Uh, Jimmy with his first ELMS season, full season, since his days at JMW in the Ferrari. But beyond that, a number of teams that are fielding Really very convincing lineups, uh, including a couple of tasty-looking Iron Lynx run cars, uh, one of which features Miguel Molina uh, in the lineup. We've got Richard Leitz uh, along for the ride, too, with the second Proton car. We've got numbers of factory drivers in high-quality cars. It's going to come down in GTE, and for that matter, in LMP3, to just how good and how consistent the non-professional drivers are. If you like sports car racing in the raw um, that is going to have multiple cars in multiple classes having their own series of wars throughout four hours, tune in this weekend for the European Le Mans series because I think it's going to be a cracker. Beautiful. Uh, let's see. Why don't we... I rock. Uh, <laughs> why don't we go with James Counter... Uh, talking about, are you surprised by the number of uh, LMP2 AM entries in ELMS? Uh, he also adds, uh, have the LMP3 fuel issues been solved uh, across the board? Well, the LMP3 thing, I think, is pretty simple. I don't see that being solved. I think we are now into a position where we're going to have these late fuel stops unless we've got long cautions. Uh, for those that don't know, this was a issue that came up sinfully late Um in the development of the new uh, uh, new edition of LMP3 cars, where suddenly people realised a 5.6-litre engine consumes more fuel uh, than a 5-litre engine. There's lots of questions we still need to kind of nail down about LMP2 and how long they could go on fuel with the lower power levels they're running this year. But am I surprised on the LMP2 AM front? Not really. It is something. This uh, The LMP2 AM, actually known as LMP2 Pro AM, which will run this year in both the WEC and the ELMS. This is a, if you like, a subclass that accommodates the LMP2 teams that have at least one bronze-ranked driver aboard. They will have their own podium. Uh, they will feature, by the way, in the overall order. Um, they won't get a point, I don't believe, for... Uh, pole position, there'll be one LMP2 uh, point, but no, it's something where the bronze ranked drivers have been asking for some time for you know, a little bit more of a level playing field and that these bronze ranked uh, drivers get to compete for something worthwhile against their peers. The mistake I think that's been made with LMP2 Pro-Am is there is no automatic entry for Le Mans for the winner of those subclasses. Well, it would be just in a mess because obviously you get an interest in Le Mans in WEC anyway. I think that's a bit of a miss. I hope that comes forward in the future. But I think this is something that could add a bit of spice. Why are we doing this? Consider this. Uh, the current um, 20, since 2017 LMP2 class with the Gibson engine cars, we've had a princely total of two race wins by bronze-ranked drivers uh, in any squad. One of them was uh, Fritz van Erd aboard the racing team Netherlands car in the uh, FIWEC a couple of seasons ago. The other one, Enric Edman, in the Dragon Speed car in the ELMS. And that is it. So pretty clearly, if you've got a bronze, a real bronze aboard the car, you're going to struggle to put together a 
full season uh, attack on those classes with you know fantastic cars as we're finding out now as they try to balance them back a bit it's proving to be very difficult uh, and some fantastic driver lineups with some fantastic teams to prepare them uh, this is i think a sensible move am i surprised for seven no i'm not i think we might get more i think we need to hit the old podcast okay. pause awesome. button and resume tomorrow and if I was smart, I'd edit all this out. No one would know. But, hey, we don't do that. Uh, we just kind of <laughs> keep people clued in on the silliness. Well, Graham Goodwin, we are recording exactly as planned right after where we left off. No yeah. oft, by the way. Not off, but oft. No interruptions. No drama. <laughs> everything perfectly normal, Right. No, no. This is about <laughs> this is about a week after, isn't it? It's uh, several days anyway. Uh, sadly, uh, I, I need to report to our faithful listeners. One, we're very sorry there was no edition last week. That came courtesy of my rather extended travel schedule and then a catastrophic hard drive failure. I'm afraid for Marshall Pruitt's uh, laptop which means we're picking up the reins after, well, we pre-recorded 45 minutes, you say, I think, uh, MP? Uh, 30, 30, yeah, 35, 40 yeah. minutes, whatever it was. Yeah. That was, that was before last weekend. This is being recorded now on Wednesday evening. <laughs> um, and in a freezing cold UK, I have to say. Um, and, um, yeah, so we're going to pick it up, and we're going to pick up with some more questions on Weck Aslam's Elms Echo. What it does give us the opportunity uh, to do is to reflect on uh, the first weekend of the European Le Mans series, a packed program of racing and a packed paddock, uh, the most bizarre um, Michelin Le Mans Cup race. If you haven't seen it, uh, either grab the highlights if they're up yet or have a bit of a fast forward through the two hours of action, but that was the most bonkers race uh, imaginable with the LMP3s in particular. Um, and a good race too for the LMS and the first opportunity we've had to see the LMP2 cars in their new 2021 format. And I have to say, uh, much as there are, there are debating points and there are points to be made about the changes that have been made, of course, the one thing it didn't do was to affect the level of competitive, uh, competitiveness within the class mm. because everybody's got the same kind of turning down of the wick, if you like. And we did have, I thought, one heck of a race. It was carnage at the start uh, with a couple of incidents. Uh, Roman Brusinov rather muffing up the start and um, being punished for that. And then uh, contact in the, I have to say, the bizarre chicane at the end of the lap at uh, Barcelona, uh, which had the cars spread out like, I, I don't know what, uh, peanut butter and jelly, really, all over the place. But what a grid. I mean, a really good-looking grid of cars, really competitive. Um, but uh, it has to be said that the WRT team in the ELMS looked very, very strong indeed and managed to get themselves to that win. So let's crack on, MP, uh, with some Weck Aslam's Elms Echo. We'll, we'll spill back to another couple of uh, questions that have come in for our call this week uh, for IMSA. There'll be a bit of a top-up for IMSA. Um, so Why don't we start off with the person we're so thankful for, Joachim Bernhardson, who just always sheds positivity and love on the show he also sends in 
one of life's great existential questions that happens to be served through, of all things, sports car racing. Joachim says, hey, guys, awesome podcast, and we get a thumbs up, too, so that's awesome. What do you think about BOP in Le Mans Hypercar? How can the WEC make Toyota and Glickenhaus equal on track? Just a quick note, Joachim, is if, uh, if Graham can successfully answer this, we are pivoting him towards world peace, curing <laughs> cancer, and a, a global warming, uh, which I believe would be somewhat easier to resolve. Yeah, I think the, the answer here is we don't know yet. And there's a whole lot of we don't know. And we won't know for a little while longer as far as Glickenhaus is concerned because, um, of course, Glickenhaus will not be taking part in the uh, the first race of the season at Spa. Uh, Jim Glickenhaus tells us that WC has known that for some time. This is all linked in with the, the fact that at the point of homologation, you are then locked in with that spec for five years. Uh, it's also linked beyond that end to the fact that, of course, Jim's main priority is not the six hours of Spa or the eight hours of Portimao. It's the 24 hours of Le Mans. So he wants to be um, pushing as far as they possibly can with development and on his 007 uh, hypercars to the point where he's got the best possible package available for his first shot at Le Mans, which will, of course, come at the end of August. So disappointing we're not going to see the Glickenhaus. Well, the Glitter House is, but we are going to see another enigma for the ACO, and that is how do you balance these brand new, uh, effectively four wheel drive hypercars, heavier than the old cars, uh, less powerful than the old, car, old cars? Um, how do you ban- manage to balance that with a effectively a grandfathered, wrong word, but I'll use it anyway, dumbed down non uh, hybrid? LMP1 car. So can they make those cars competitive and uh, with each other? And if they can, where do we then think we're going to be for Le Mans in August? And that, I have to say, was a subject of a huge amount of conversation and speculation uh, in Barcelona. We're there for a week with the LMS test followed by uh, race weekend. And I think lots and lots of people are thinking that that Alpine, if it's anywhere remotely competitive on pace, could be looking for a very good result at the Le Mans 24 hours because what we've got are brand new Toyotas and certain things can come out. There's been a lot of testing done with the GR010, uh, I think we could, we'll call it. Groot. Uh, the Groot. Um, but uh, <laughs> it you know what the 24 hours of Le Mans is is a big test for uh, any team any driver and particularly any car and particularly particularly when it's a new car uh what would I think I think they've got to go in as favorites I think for me second favorites likely uh the Alpine and I hope that what Jim and the guys at Scudero Cameron Glickenhaus produce is a car with pace and a car that can run trouble-free. If they can, they look set for a pretty good result. The key to it, though, is finishing ahead of the LMP2 cars, which we know, for the most part, although we've seen some bizarre um, outliers, particularly the Rolex 24 this year, the LMP2, the Gibson cars, are remarkably resilient and reliable. So um, it's a big, big, big task to uh, BOP what effectively is three completely different packages. And then on top of that, of course, we've got 
Peugeot to come next year. We've got Ferrari to come the year after that, together with the galaxy of uh, LMDHs that will then emerge, uh, you know, most of which we already know about. And the ones that you didn't know about, you can read about in Marshall's piece a couple of weeks ago on uh, racer.com, completely free of charge, by the way, um, that uh, you can read on racer.com to find out what else is going on in the orbits of LMDH. But there are still projects uh, emerging. Free of charge because it's not worth a damn thing. Um, (laughs) But but that's before, MP, we get to hydrogen, and there's a whole new world coming there too. Hydrogen car? So is that LMHH? uh, That's what the H stood for. LMHH. Or LMH2O? I don't know. what. uh, No, but there's hydrogen. That's what comes out of the exhaust. Yeah. um, I don't know. We've got a new task. For those of you who are silly enough to be listening to this show, uh, we need, we've already figured out that LMDH Husky, that's the real name for IMSA's version of this new formula that's coming. We have LMH for what's here now. We've got a lot of H's going on, Graham. We got hydrogen coming too, but I think we need to consult our listeners for a proper acronym for it. Again, is it LMH squared? I, I don't know. But LMHH, I don't know if that works, but we need something because we got to differentiate. Do you really want three prototype classes that all rely on the letter H in a pretty heavy <laughs> way? One uh, caps, all caps with uh, hypercar, one lowercase h for uh, LMD Husky, uh, which we think means hybrid um, hat. What else could it mean? Hooker? I don't know. Something related to IMSA, but... We got to figure this out for hydrogen. We can't confuse people. Why, Graham? Sports car racing never confusing. We wouldn't no. dare let that start. No. Uh, why don't we go similar frame here? Uh, Sean Crockett says, looking at the issues surrounding BOP for hypercars, knock-on effects of P2s. Is it possible there will be different specs of P2s running in the WEC in the good old ELMS? Says uh, slow down in WEC to accommodate the BOP hypercars and maybe sped up in the ELMS to stop them falling back into the clutches of the quickest P3s. What do you think on Sean's thinking? Well, first and foremost, we've already now, we've now had an opportunity to see how the LMP2s ran with the LMP3s in the LMS. And in fairness, that mixing of the classes really wasn't an issue, apart from in extremis when we had a couple of cars uh, delayed and having to make their way back through the field. It really wasn't a big issue. That said, as you might imagine, it was quite the talking point amongst teams and drivers uh, in the lead-up to race weekend. Um, the, the, I think there were, there were basically two groups. The group that would be looking to move on up uh, to LMDH when the opportunities arise, they generally are fairly irritated but sanguine about it. The uh, group that perhaps might find that a bit more of a struggle I, I think we could describe them as being irked, angry, um, particularly the teams that, of course, are long-time the LMS teams that will maximum meet uh, the hypercars once a year at Le Mans. They're not so worried about the uh, tyre side of things, which I cl- can clarify, by the way, but I think there was a slight misstep in terms of the way that was described to us. Um they're not that worried about the, the weight. Um, 
they're not that worried about the power to a degree, other than the fact that there is a, a um, financial cost to that with a new exhaust system for the cars. What they are worried about is putting the Le Mans body kit on, uh, on what are absolutely pro-am cars. Less of an issue, let's say, at uh, Port Ricard, Monza, uh, which for the most part, the circuits fairly well suit a low-drag aero kit. But Spa and Red Bull Ring, now there, they're concerned about it. So there was... Uh, a fair amount of debates, a fair amount of uh, approach, uh, approaches to the organising body to seek um, conversations and redress, etc. And I did sense there was at least some uh, opportunity for discussion about it. I think people, you know, at the end of the day, the rulemakers are not stupid people. Um, they do recognise that when there's a safety uh, matter being put forward what you certainly don't want is you know, half the field to be stacked up at turn three at uh at the red bull ring uh these are i have to say increasingly what comes out of this mp is what a spectacularly good car the orica 07 is um and what they're struggling with here is slowing the cars down there was one other storyline that emerged during barcelona and that was the numbers that were test that happened just a few days before at Paul Ricard with at least one Toyota Jar uh, one, one of the groups was there as were TDS Racing with the racing team Netherlands Orica uh, which was running in full 2020 spec 2021 spec apologies with the Le Mans body kit and the, the difference was about two to two and a half seconds uh, around the full uh, the Castellet track, which I think I'm right in saying would translate to something like five or six seconds at Le Mans. Uh, is that enough? It's a bit of a hashtag wait and see. Uh, I did say clarify about the tyres. I think I'm right that I said either earlier in this show or the previous week's show that the change that had come was that Goodyear had, in response to the complaints that the cars were pretty you know that the, there was a lack of feel in the cars with the um the proposed task 2021 had gone back to 2020 spec that's not quite true in fact it's not true at all what they've got is a mix of compounds that have been used uh, by goodyear last year and by the dunlop brand uh, working the way back down as uh, as early as 2017 so it's a mix of compounds in this current iteration of LMP2, but a new construction. So every tyre is new, um, but it is it is not 2020 tyres. It's an amalgam, if you like, of the experience they've had across that period of time. All that to one side, the reality was, with the exception of a WRT car that drove somewhat off into the distance, we had a pretty good race at Barcelona. If we get more of that for this season, I suspect the complaints will will start to kind of tail off as long as one bit of the script is destined, is consigned to the dustbin where it, where it really needs to be. And that is the organisers have really got to stop saying this is going to save the team's money. It fundamentally is not going to save the team's money. It is going to cost them money. The basis of that point, MP, is that because you've got cars that are travelling a little less quickly, uh, with 
um, less power, that in some way that's going to wear the brakes less. Uh, certainly by the way, the cars go a little longer on fuel, which is good news. Um, but the reality is you do not put worn sets of brakes on the car at the start of a race. So all that really means for most of the teams is they're going to end up with an awful lot more part-worn brake parts on their spare shells for testing. So there's not a saving. And it has to be said, of all the things that have been said and done, the repeated assertion that this is going to save them money is the thing that is annoying the teams more than any other one thing. That's where we are. There we go. Let's see. Where else shall we wander? Daniel Summerskill, first time contributor. Ooh. Thank you, Daniel. It's great to have you on the show. This is, did the stratification. Uh, we're already using big words. Three, three words into the question. Did the stratification gray in between LMP2 and LMP3 in the ELMS at Barcelona make it more difficult for the P2 cars to overtake and lap the P3s? He says, hashtag me personally, it seemed that way, but is that necessarily a bad thing as it allows drivers to better demonstrate racecraft? I think it's. I think it was, there's, there's going to be a difference. Of course there is, because the P2s have got less pace. Um but I tend to agree with Daniel. Uh, we, we, we saw some spectacular overtaking. I mean, stand up young Franco Colapinto for uh, an amazing double move uh, before he hit some trouble. But um, I don't think it's a bad thing either. I think it is good to, to, to find racecraft. I think, you know, it's the flip side, isn't it, of where we are with Formula One with the DRS system, which I never liked. I continue not to like uh, because whilst I kind of get it as to what it's intended to do, it just makes passing look ridiculously easy. It's that, you know, once you're within a second, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I know there's, there's arguments on both sides. If you want to kind of attach a hashtag uh, to it, the hashtag is hashtag GG hates it. You um, know what I would just throw, throw into there, Graham, which I think further drives home the main point you're making. If you, recount whether it was last weekend's f1 race or any in recent history mm -hmm. think of all the passes that you witnessed taking place for meaningful positions yeah drs was usually where those passes happened meaning take drs away imagine how screwed the rest of the, how screwed the races would be so if not for this artificial thing they've had to drum up with there would be almost no passing which just comes back to a, a overarching point back to what you're discussing here. Uh, maybe we're a little bit thankful where we don't have to go to those extremes, yep. but we think of other ways or, or stratification or similar to give some fun, some this, some that without the gimmickry, but how crazy would F1 be without the gimmickry? Uh, I think you'd have the lowest ratings just about ever. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I will admit to not being much of a Formula One fan at the moment, uh, and I will equally well admit that uh, talking to those that are, the racing seems to be better than it's been for a little wee while. But I'll add to that that it damn well should be because there's been year after year after year where it's been pretty darn dire. Um, so I'm not a fan ever really of gimmick. There, are, there are places for it. Um, I don't think here with the P2s, we're talking about gimmicks. We're talking about an attempt to prep, to be like till the field ready for what's coming. And I, I do get that. 
it feels wrong. It feels clumsy. It feels like it was it was late and badly communicated. Um, but I, it's fair to say that wiser, more experienced, and more directly involved heads than I have been cautioning um, a little bit of a little bit of you know, just let's wait and see what emerges from this. Uh, I'm prepared to give it that that space we've got another opportunity with a different area of the of the pie chart if you like next week uh so on uh this weekend i'll be making my way to spa francorchamps uh for monday tuesday we have the prologue for the wec the first opportunity for us to see the Groot and the alpine uh, p1 up against the new breed of uh, LMP2s, and I think I'm right in WEC, they will be running with the Le Mans Aero kit from the start. That's going to be very hairy indeed at certain parts of Spa, I think, and I'm expecting at that point us to get some feedback from some of the teams, and in particular some of the gentlemen drivers, that that is a much more difficult uh, prospect for them. There are numbers that can be attached, by the way, uh, to the aerodynamic values on these cars. I will bring you that story uh, and the difference is stark uh, for the difference between the uh, high downforce package and the Le Mans package for the Orica in particular. Um, it is not an order of 5 or 10%. It's a big, big percentage of downforce that you're uh, losing um, and you're losing throughout the range of those cars. Should we mention terms of things that you really need to pay attention to, not this weekend, but maybe tomorrow, that being Thursday? Happy birthday to you. Graham oh, Goodwin, you're going to be 17 years old. And that and a bit more. <laughs> yes, it's going to be um, me rapidly approaching, yeah, the point at which, rather bizarrely, my first pensions kick in, uh, which... <laughs> So yes, I will be fifty-seven years old tomorrow. Oh, um, um, and as I as I like to remind my wife, uh, she was fifty-seven a little wee while ago, bless her, uh, but still gorgeous. But thank you for that. Um, it's been a it's been a funny old week, hasn't it? Um, on the life journey front. Um, and by the way, before we go a step further, um, and I know you're going to push this kind of way into the long grass, but but I just want to say thanks again, MP for your efforts and for those of Brian Redman um, in response to one of our heroes being in need of our assistance right now, Vic Elford. Um, and if you haven't looked at uh, Marshall's story on race.com or the stuff that we've been following up with, with dailysportscar.com, um, do have a look. And if you've got a few bucks to spend, there's a far, far worse place to spend it than um, making sure that one of the, well, the absolute greats, just has to struggle a little bit less uh, in the autumn years of his life. He's having a hard time right now. And if any of us can actually just help that along to just put a smile on Vic's face, I, I, the, the numbers are spectacular so far. After uh, just a couple of three days of fundraising MP, you should be proud of yourself with that one. And to tickle that along, by the way, uh, we're rerunning a couple of multipod interviews and we'll be plugging the GoFundMe page every day that those are running. So it's three parts from Malcolm Cracknell from 2002 
and that's going to be followed up with two parts. This is all on Daily Sports Car uh, from Michael Cotton uh, with Vic Elford somewhat later. There might be a tiny little bit of duplication for that. But if you don't know the Vic Elford story, please read them. If you're as awed by that as I was when learning about what Vic had done uh, through his career, have a quick click on the GoFundMe page. And if you can spare 10 bucks, that would go a long way to helping someone very special who needs us right now. That's number one. Number two is, just wanted to add as well, I know you're hurting today, MP, with the passing of um, a special member of particularly the IMSA paddock. Yeah, IMSA, IndyCar, all over the place. Uh, Derek Dong, he's, boy, one of everyone's favorite people. Uh, He actually had renal failure three years ago at the Rolex 24 um, and had been undergoing very heavy uh, dialysis with his kidneys, failing him over the last couple of years. Things started getting particularly bad late in 2020. And, yeah, learned that we'd lost him, I believe it was yesterday morning. So just, yeah, good Lord. Uh, the institutional knowledge Derek possessed about brakes, braking systems, forces, physics, how everything interacts and interrelates with the rest of the vehicle, optimizing everything imaginable. Uh, I was both a client of his through Performance Friction, through PFC, where he was our director of motorsports. I was a client buying stuff for my own race cars, which he helped, uh, you know, outfit everything um, just over the phone. Give me, tell me this, tell me that, tell me the other thing. Okay, you need this, that, and the other, and da 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 da. And you're sitting there going, "How do you do that? What is wrong with you? That's not humanly possible." And yet you do it. <laughs> um, and so beyond just being brilliant. When it comes to braking and being a brake engineer, one of those rare engineers, Graham, you and I know some of them, and I say some because there aren't many, where despite having this insane mind where they grasp things that many of us just don't have the ability to, he wasn't the uh, proverbial shoegazing engineer who just mumbled words and was not particularly interested in human contact. He was just a delight, big, warm, fun, funny character. Truly, I can say this with no exaggeration, one of a very limited number of people on a professional racing pit lane or in the paddock where everybody smiled when they saw Derek coming their way. I'd even venture to say... Rivals at Brembo and whatever else probably smiled because this, you know, I'm not downplaying the quality of knowledge in people at Brembo or pick any other brake supplier, but he's just one of those guys where everyone kind of looked at and said, oh, yeah, he's the goat. He's the guy. And plus, (laughs) he is just the best person to visit with, uh, spin yarns about, you name it. So, yeah, boy, you just hate to see a loss like that, Graham. Because there's no, there's no, oh, that, that guy or he or she, they're the next Derek in training or, oh, well, there's a number two waiting in line. Boy. Yeah. One of one, that Derek Dong guy. So miss going to miss him a ton. Uh, let's see. Where else would we like to go in your world of in rhyming convention? Weck Aslam, 
Elms and Aco? Uh, Trevor Gagola. Uh, that's a quick question. He says, I was watching this weekend's LMS race in Barcelona. Thank you for that, Trevor. Heard at the end about some cars not being classified for points because they didn't cross the fish, finish line, the, the line at the finish. Questions about two scenarios. If an entire class fails to cross the line or finish, is anyone awarded the win points, podium spots? Has this ever happened? Um, two, I heard at one point the last lap at Le Mans has to be competed in a, a minimum amount of time. What's the punishment for not doing that? Uh, well, the answer is uh, we certainly have had classes where fewer than three have finished. And the answer there is you don't get to go on the podium and uh, you've not finished. You're not a classified finisher. It's as simple as that. Um, as for this six minutes at Le Mans, punishment for not doing that is, I think I'm right, exclusion. Uh, I don't think there's any two ways about it. That came, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, as a result of some shenanigans in the first year from Peugeot, uh, where I think, wasn't it your mate, wasn't it Sebastian, that waited close to the finish with an ailing poor uh, Peugeot? Yes, yeah, and then they came up, yeah, 2007, they came up yep. with the uh, the Bordet rule yep. at his home race. So- I think they don't yeah. like him, even though he's the homeboy. Uh, <laughs> French on French hate. What is that about? It's uh, Yeah, but that's what they did. They stopped uh, basically people stacking up, uh, waiting the the, uh, the winning car to come across the lines. They effectively saved a lap of fuel or, um, you know, uh, unreliability. Uh, so that's what changed it. But I'm pretty certain that the penalty for not completing it within the six minutes without there being a kind of force majeure and I'm sure there's an appeal process and blah, 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 is that you're excluded from the race results, which would be tragic, wouldn't it, at the end of a 24-hour race, particularly the mom. Um, I'm glad you said else? exclusion because in my mind, I knew you were going to say the word exclusion, but in my <laughs> very broken mind, no joke, the word execution came to mind. I mean, that'll make well, sure your monkey ass completes the last lap, huh? I mean, it's an extreme answer, but yeah, yeah boy. Yeah, I'm sure we could all name drivers that we, yeah, but maybe not. Um, but uh, beyond that, what else have we got here? Uh, Brands Hospitality at Brand Suites. Uh, sounds more like an, uh, an ad than a, a name, but it says, Hi, Graham. Under the impression bronze drivers were owed the 30. Are you able to explain how fast young LMP3 drivers uh, Antoine de Quen and Finn Gershitz are bronze? Um, I think it's to do with a significant race history. It's not just one rule. Uh, there are overlapping and intertwined rules around the... Uh, classification of drivers. I will admit that I was surprised that we've got three or four very quick teenagers in the Michelin Le Mans Cup this year. Uh, there is the rule that I know we've talked about uh, on the weekend sports cars before that means that they are going to find it less easy as the uh, season goes on because there are going to be pretty swinging uh, restrictions placed on them through pit stops. Uh, so you're going to be punished for dominance. It replaces the um, success ballast that you, that, uh, that was put in place a couple of years ago, but a quick bronze driver will find it less easy as we go through the season. I'll, I'll chat with one of the rule makers about this, because I'm very, very aware this has gone down about as well as swallowing a porcupine with, with very many 
um, fans of the sport. And what they see is this, is that, look, we're in a situation where there is clearly a major market in finding the very quickest bronze. They are going head-to-head in a development series with teams and drivers that, of course, you're keen, find competition, you improve your uh, racing skill set through competition, and that they then progress up through the order in Michelin Le Mans Cup over a couple of seasons, hopefully come up to the European Le Mans Series, hopefully go to WC, and indeed some of them have, um, and that they become part of that ladder. And what they didn't want are teams coming in with a very rapid young bronze that is then coming forward and dominating proceedings to the point where no matter what you throw at it in terms of your learning curve, if you are the archetypal reasonably well-off businessman who's got passion enough to spend money uh, on your own career with a professional driver alongside you and a team, et cetera, et cetera, that you simply just get to the stage where you don't feel competitive. Evidence for the prosecution, the Michelin Le Cup has had the same winning team for the last four years, TKR Engineering, with uh, a man um, at the wheel of the car for the last two years, Lawrence Herr, that was in the ELMS race this weekend at a brand new TKR Engineering Duquesne and opened up in his uh, two hours at the wheel, better part of a lap on the field. They're that good that would not be right uh, for that to be up against effectively um, you know, emerging amateurs coming into the field. I get it. I don't like it either. Um, the, the, if you like, the, uh, the gimmickry, the, falsehood, the, the falseness of the measure, but I absolutely get it. Another case for the prosecution, uh, another winning bronze driver, in this case in Ferraris for Iron Links, Reno Mastronardi. Remember that name. Uh, I have seen the lap chart analysis for the European Le Mans series race for GTE MB. Think for a moment. We have in that race, Jimmy Bruni, full factory uh, Porsche driver. We have Richard Leitz, another full factory Porsche driver. Miguel Molina, a full factory Ferrari driver, Ross Gunn, a full factory uh, Aston Martin driver, Reno Mastronardi, a bronze ranked driver, not a silver, but a bronze ranked driver, was the second fastest across full stint in that field. That there's something wrong there. And by the way, he's been a bronze driver for several years now. Um, so I think, you know, we, we, we are waiting to see whether or not there is a response there in the LMS to that kind of, you have to say, game playing. I've no doubt he legally meets the required level for a bronze. I've no doubt whatsoever. Uh, but I strongly suspect that he's one of a number of bronze drivers that is being paid and paid well to game that system. At some point, you've got to say, okay, you've had your fun, you've won the title, we've got to Le Mans maybe, um, now it's time to let this system be what it should be. Uh, it's that kind of example, is my view, that someone should be pulling that team aside and say, actually, you know what, this is our train set, you can't play with it like that. Not putting in a rule set that cuts through 
the whole lot. That that it's disappointing. I get it. We've got to see how these things kind of play out. But I think they may be tackling the wrong problem. And I think, by the way, I think the horse has bolted on that front. DKR are not going to win this championship in Michelin and Mon Cup this year. They've got new drivers aboard the car, and it didn't finish well. Um, but I think Reno Mastronardi might well win the LMS GTE title with Iron Links, and then they go to Le Mans, don't they? They do. Uh, speaking of other places we might go, do we keep going with Wekaza Malmzeko, or do we go somewhere else, my man, who officially chooses what we discuss and when we discuss it? Uh, let's move on with just one really, really quick one here. Uh, Gregoch, uh, is it Piotrovich? Did Gigi already meet a certain Polish journalist in Barcelona? Did meet any Polish journalist in Barcelona? Could you also please tell us about your uh, experiences with Cuba-centric fans at the LMS chat on YouTube? Quite simple, really. One of my jobs with the uh, LMS TV uh, package is to respond to fan questions on air if and when we get the opportunity. We'll do it more, I think, in the future through Twitter, but uh, I am tasked with just monitoring what's going on in terms of questions that might be asked because, of course, we've got a whole lot of new. I did, I have to tell you, warn the series that we had Robert Kubica uh, uh, for his first uh, race as part of the WRT team there. Uh, it has to be said he has a large group of Polish fans which will, who will travel large distances to watch Robert in his racing endeavours. Um, and they have, it has to be said, a uh, sort of a reputation for being, how can we put this, highly enthusiastic. Uh, YouTube chat channels are not known often in racing for their high level of intellectual content. And uh, absolutely it was how can I put this? Spammed to buggery, uh, I think, is the um, is the way that I would actually explain it. Disappointing, because people do want to enjoy their own enthusiasm, and it, it does strike me as being something that's kind of pointlessly juvenile to just spoil everybody else's uh, uh, you know enjoyment of that particular medium. But there is a reality. Um, the answer here is I'll be ignoring it next time. I won't look at it. We'll go to Twitter and we'll um, give people the opportunity to engage in a slightly less completely juvenile fashion. So sadly, wrong way to express your enthusiasm for the absolute superstar talents of Robert um, because I won't be using that medium again. Um, It's not that they're Polish and it's not that they're, you know, um, single-minded. It's not any of those things. It's the fact that they're bloody idiots is what it is. And it just ruins it for everybody else because no one else gets a look in and it's spam, 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 blah, 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 all very Monty Python. Um, and we'll move on and do something better next time. Uh, but should we move on to Herr General or do you want a quick look back at what we've got uh, as a top-up for him, sir? Uh, why don't we... Do whatever you want, man. It's your birthday. It's your choice. We've got just a a handful of top-up questions for him. So I know we've had an intersection in part uh, of uh, the weekend sports cars. It's uh, Ryan Terpstra says, so a second Canassi Cadillac DPI featuring Palau, Ericsson, and Johnson for the Enduros next year. It has to happen, right, MP? Uh, Referring to Alex Palau, who just won his first IndyCar race. Uh, also on debut for Chip Ganassi Racing, so that was uh, pretty cool for him. Here's what I think we're going to see next year. 
and I say this uh, coming hashtag coming from a place of absolutely zero knowledge to coin one of Graham's better hashtags. Yen Magnuson is leaving IMSA as a full timer to participate in Peugeot's hypercar effort. I'm going to stop, n- stop, stop, stop. Who is leaving? Yen Magnuson. I said, uh, I, I breaking hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. Right? Oh man, I wasn't supposed to let. Well, if folks are still listening, I just gave away a secret. Also, rumor that his kid Kevin might be going too. That's the secondary part, though. Nobody really cares about that. Um, Kev is indeed leaving, one and done, after his full season with Chip Ganassi Racing in good old IMSA. Why do I say that? Why do I mention it that way? Knowing that he's already been announced as a Peugeot factory driver. I'm not going to go any farther than this, but there was a chance that he might have been able to stay next year, full-time. And I've come to learn it's not noteworthy to write it because a thing that never happened didn't happen is not exactly uh, a story to write. But uh, I, I have learned that that's not going to happen. So sad about that. Uh, really, really happy to have Yan's offspring here. Um, great to announce the uh, father and son teaming up at Peugeot. Hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. Send all queries to Peugeot about that. Don't cite me as the reference, though. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. So I, knowing that uh, Yan 2.0 won't be staying, I do wonder, Ryan, if we're not just going to see uh, Jimmy Johnson, Marcus Erickson, Alex Pelos, you mentioned, joining in with good old Renger van der Zander. Uh, next season we don't know what the IMSA schedule is going to be we don't know what the IndyCar schedule is going to be if and where there might be clashes but with Jimmy having signed to do the Enduros with Action Express racing this year that going incredibly well Hendrick Motorsport involved all good 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 that whole thing was crafted when well before Ganassi had a DPI program with Cadillac and once they did have a DPI program with Cadillac uh, there was no room at the inn. So this year, there is a necessary separation where Chip Ganassi Racing's full-time, almost full-time driver in IndyCar needs to go over and play with a rival in IMSA uh, while Chip has a new full-time IMSA program. I just wonder, got to believe, etc., cetera, uh, that that might get buttoned up. So everything Jimmy does in IndyCar and IMSA next year would be under Chip's house. Hey, they've got a DPI program. They have fallen in love with a guy that they've never known, that being Renger Van Zenda. So, yeah, I think you're on to something, but I also think it's just a little bit of an evolutionary thing with uh, Kevin definitely going, and that certainly opens up some opportunities. Excellent stuff. Um, one from Matthew License here. And I think this one, it's in our MSERT section here, MP, but I think it's probably one that we can both have a crack at answering. Matthew says, which traditionally privateer LMP2 teams are looking likely to become customers in LMDH? He says, WRT making such a strong start. That's the LMS. Must worry others who are looking at LMDH purely on a basis. Uh, so what about uh, on the MSA side? Anybody that you've got your eyes on that you think... They're definitely going LMDH. Nobody 
at the moment, Matthew, and that's because I don't know if there's a full full picture yet of the costs. Now, I know that there's really solid projections, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that uh, P2 teams or any team would be incapable of predicting how much it might cost. Just in that phase, though, where cars haven't been built, the hybrid systems haven't been built, there's so many things that fall into the category of haven't that at this stage... A year, almost, a, we're not quite there, but we'll just say about a year and a half out from LMDH coming online, it's really easy to target budget figure X. As traditionally happens, though, you start to get a lot closer and to the point where you're ordering cars and you're ordering this and ordering that, and all of a sudden, that projected number, have you ever heard of it going down, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> like that would be the shock matthew this has never happened hey we project it's going to be x million and you find out oh no hey it's 50 percent of what we know it's always more so this is just where i think eh, it's a little bit of the hashtag wait and see thing because of this is not going to be cheap this is not going to be inexpensive so it's going to be a very tough financial pill to swallow for privateers slash existing p2 teams if we factor in what we expect to be higher budget number vehicle purchase price and spares and all that right i just think that yeah if there are any that are going to pull the trigger it's going to be after seeing the real true numbers and i don't know how many are going to be able to actually swallow that number well, if I give you, give you, for instance, the latest numbers I've been given, and uh, it comes with exactly the same health warning as MP's just given there, against something like a full-season WEC LMP2 budget, you are looking in the range of 50 to 200% more, something like that. Uh, that said, there is no shortage whatsoever of the teams, and it is exactly the teams you'd expect it to be, the teams operating at high levels with often multi-car programs that are um, talking to their current partners, new partners, factories, you name it, about a range of opportunities that sit there, particularly with LMDH, where the cost price for the cars particularly is going to be lower than for the LMH hypercars. Um, And I think we're we're looking at, at... couple of prospects here of course they would like a factory blessed part funded program but a lot of them are sensible enough to realize that that's not going to be available to to everybody and in some cases they, they know damn well it won't be available to them but what you have then got with a class where BOP as we've said before hashtag BOPness um is part of the formula even if it's not a factory backed program the, the performance characteristics, the performance envelope of the car is the same. And if they've got confidence in the technical ability within their own team, and um, for that matter, their ability to attract the right driver squads, there is every reason to believe that they could be ultimately competitive. And that, by the way, MP, is without any near future decision that may or may not, most likely may be made, that might see 
the European and potentially even the Asian continental system opened up to LMDH cars uh, for private teams only. There's all sorts of possibilities that sit there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, amongst the answers we don't yet have is a conclusive date for the introduction of the new brand of LMP2, which fall out from those LMDH uh, cars. There is a lot of pieces on the table right now, and the jigsaw. We haven't really begun to put it together yet. There's there's so much that will emerge. Some of it in weeks. Some of them months, some of it in years. Because I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to hear from your point of view, Aaron P, that the stuff that you were uncovering, I was uncovering over the last few weeks, that emerges with this second wave, if you like, of LMDH cars that are really aiming not at 2023 but 2024, that was actually quite a surprise to me. That we're, we're not talking one, we're talking multiple potential um brands that would be coming to LMDH a year after the introduction of the formula. That, to me, was not a shock, but a surprise in its scale. A total agreement with you here, knowing that we're holding this discussion in April of 2021. And again, I know we're not, it's a little more than a year and a half away, but still, this is not a short amount of time. I mean, there's a lot of time. If you want to go live in 2023, so I am a bit surprised uh, with some of those who've just clearly said, yeah, we'll see you the year two of the formula. Is there a benefit to that? Is, it, is there potentially something smarter by doing that? Maybe. Uh, I do know that while I'm sure you could sit back and look at some of the weaknesses and try and apply some strategery with whatever LMDH model you're cooking up to try and find something to exploit, would also say that uh, with Acura as a recent example in DPI Graham, coming in in year two of the formula, while their cars certainly became muy excellente, uh, they spent the first year getting beaten up a little bit and having to go do a number of races to then truly identify the weaknesses, lobby IMSA for some changes and whatnot to get into the game a little bit better. All just coming back to the point of, yeah, I, I cannot come up with a really strong argument to say we're going to skip being there year one and gather that year of data to benefit us in year two. You show up, call it a year late, Unless something really extraordinary happens, you're going to be a year behind on development, and you're just delayed to when you should expect real success to be possible. So, yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's that. There's one other thing just to mention on this topic, uh, Matthew, and that is, again, the manufacturers, potential auto manufacturers getting involved with this have been given a, a rough here's what we think it's going to cost or what you might budget for. The number that I've heard, two-car manufacturer program per year. Granted, a lot of things get amortized over X number of years, but, you know, budget somewhere between 18 to $25 million might not be too crazy to launch a program, get it testing, and get it on track uh, for that first year. 
not a small number. That would come down a bit, obviously. But here's, the, again, the question mark. Hey, WRT. Hey, PR1 Matheson. Hey, whomever. LMP2 team, uh, privateer, wherever. You want to get your hands on a, name it, Audi, Porsche, Acura, this, that, and the other. What is that number going to be from them? Mm-hmm. That's the other big thing. Uh, it's hard for Porsche to quote someone a price right now unless they just put it ridiculously high. That's actually maybe a really good strategy. $97 million per car. We'll let you know <laughs> if there's a discount possibility when we actually build one. But it's also hard just to think of this, Matthew, from a uh, privateer standpoint. What is it going to cost? I don't know. Uh, let's get one of them built first before we can actually give you a possible number of what it might be. Let's move on. Uh, Antros lost uh, Lantos. Uh, it's another BOP question. Let me pour out my concerns, he says, regarding GTT Pro and BOP NAS. GT3 is a formula originally made for custom racing, and hashtag me personally fears that when you let manufacturers have more direct involvement, it could cause problems. Some brands buy advertising boards for races, spend more activation money, or are willing to spend more on other stuff. In return, they start pushing for a uh, quotes fairer BOP. I think this is going to be, uh, this is going on in the top TCR championships. There are brands who are more involved, spend more, push for better. Do you share such concern with IMSA? Uh, will let brands be more involved in GT3, or is the solution that IMSA make a better BOP uh, and there will be no constant pushing from the big spending manufacturers? Where do you think things are politically on that front, MP? I feel like we answered something very similar to this, uh, either in the first part of the show before my computer blew up or maybe the week before. So, But my brain is always in uh, uh, limp mode, so I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> accurate on that. Uh, here, Andres, I can tell you for sure that it doesn't matter what series you are in. If good old hashtag BOPenis and that B-O-P-N-E-S-S, um, hashtag BOPenis is always something being used as a damaging, damaging tool by manufacturers. I like the coming in under budget forecasts. I cannot think of a time where a manufacturer has gone back to a WEC, IMSA, etc., etc., SRO, and said, "We actually, we're going to give back a little bit of that weight break that you allowed. Uh, we're just, we're, you know, we're uncomfortably fast thanks to the BOP changes. We want, we want less power, less this. It's never happened. The stories, they're anecdotal because the series will never tell you. They'll never, let me rephrase that. They're never going to go on the record and say, oh, man, yeah, the manufacturer rep from so-and-so pulled me around the corner at racetrack X and called me seven kinds of a son of a bitch and threatened to pull out and do this, that, and the other if we, if we didn't make whatever change. They're never going to tell you that on the record. Of course, Graham and I would not betray the off-the-record things that we have heard. Uh, and when I say heard, you know, you apply whatever you want to that. Uh, is that us standing in front of the person and the person telling us and us going, holy crap, are you serious? Uh, or is it a phone call? What are, you know, uh, knowledge of such things take place. Uh, it's always going to happen, Andres, because it's an advantage to exploit. 
And so you talk about, you know, manufacturers come in, they spend money on this, they activate, whatever, feel like they're owed a little something. Hey, you guys couldn't keep the lights on if it wasn't for us. Yes, they all do. Uh, it doesn't It doesn't just have to be a manufacturer. It could be a big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a sponsor involved with the series it, that has some interest in a car or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter in this you know, isn't specific to any one class, I'm sorry, any one series, you and I have probably heard every permutation of how leverage is attempted to be applied to get a series to make a BOP change, to make things unfair for everyone else and fair for the one trying to twist whomever's arm. Last thing I'll throw in, maybe you have an example you want to share again. I know we're not putting names on this, but... One of the really fun parts, Andres, is hearing from other manufacturers or other teams about the actions of their rivals. Always have to apply a little bit, right? A filter of truthiness. All right, does this fully pass muster or not? But what gets to be fun is the reports that come back. And if it's, you know, manufacturer A that's in a decades-long fight against manufacturer B, there's already a little bit of, you know, war mentality and dislike between the two. Where do you hear the best, juiciest stuff about poor behavior from manufacturer A? Oh, it's always manufacturer B. They're all, you know, when, when you get the person standing in the shadows next to the transporter or whatever who sees you and you lock eyes and they kind of do the little come here motion with their index finger and you walk over at least the way my mind's running graham it's either they're going to tell me something really interesting about uh someone else or they're going to tell me really something in, something really interesting about someone else it's never about what they're doing oh i gotta <laughs> tell you this thing we're doing that's top secret it's never that it's always yeah, did you hear what these jackasses next to us tried to do? You know, one of the famous ones, just going to close on this and, and pass a baton, won't put any names on it, but it was a certain manufacturer at the Rolex 24 Daytona within my lifetime that threatened pre-race, if you do not change the BOP to what we consider to be safer or more whatever for us, we're going to have our teams put all their cars in the transporters and go home. I think I might have told this once before on the show. And the response by the folks in charge of that race at that point in time said, thanks for coming. <laughs> Just absolutely called them on it. And those cars did not go back into the transporters and there was no BOP change. And it was a hell of a stare down because had it happened, it would have shaken the good old world of sports car racing, if not motor racing in general. So even to that level, the day before the biggest sports car race in North America, you've got major manufacturers playing, you know, head on collision with the series, threatening to send all their cars home if they don't make that BOP change. This stuff is not for the faint of heart. No, indeed not. Um, we're going to finish up with IMSA with one that segues nicely into our Herr General uh, section. It comes from Don 
Gregorich for UMP, would IMSA ever consider going back to a track they used to race in the 80s, like Del Mar, for instance? Well, would? Yes. Will? Eh. I mean, I'll, let's see. If, if I can just throw this out, there's a little bit of smart assery to it, but um, not too much. Uh, IMSA went to Sebring in the 80s, went to Daytona in the 80s, went to Road America in the 80s, uh, went to Road Atlanta, went to Mid-Ohio. If I'm just looking at last year's schedule, went to Charlotte. Uh, Did I mention Road Atlanta? I'll mention that again. Went to Laguna Seca. Just out of top of my head, Don, they go to a lot of the tracks that they went to in the 1980s. Now, if the topic is, would they go to any of the tracks they no longer go to from the 1980s? You know, Del Mar being set up as a, quote, street race, which is actually a parking lot race around a the horse racing track in Del Mar, California, which I'd been to as a crew member back in the day. I loved it. It was awesome. I got to see Graham Goodwin, the... Beautiful cartoon. Well, it wasn't real, but it's a cartoon for our show. That red Ferrari France F40 in IMSA GTO spec. I got to see that exact car race at Del Mar. Somewhere among the many videotapes that I have, my old VHS camcorder. I haven't been able to find it forever, but I have home movie of that car wow uh, you know sitting in the paddock and or in in its under garage paddock where uh, the gto and gtu cars were and on track and whatnot um but yeah I, i'd love to go to delmar that place is so much fun uh where else man there's a whole bunch actually but yeah i'd love it if they did but man uh i think a time machine would be involved to, to have to pull that off my <laughs> friend uh why don't we go to close the show on the general segment of stuff that doesn't fit Wick Asimel and Zayko or IMSA and is often kind of fun, kind of weird. You mentioned, let's go to Hegeneral. Why don't we yeah. do as we sometimes do, Graham, and merge Hegeneral and fun? fun. Um, yes, James Counter asks, Having recently had the optician tell me I probably should be wearing glasses, what are your favorite sports car stories which involve glasses? <laughs> um, one that involves glasses. My least favorite one um, was my experience at the Bend last year. And it, I think it was last year, but it seems like an awfully lot longer ago than that, where I, I got on the plane to go down to Australia, and it's a long-ass way, and I was in absolute agony. Um, my eyes were absolutely killing me. Uh, couldn't deal with the uh, any kind of light, so I sat in absolute darkness for the, I can't remember how long the flight was, uh, lot, a lot longer than it should have been, and... and for those of you that are familiar with uh, the way we broadcast the Asian One series, you should be aware that we do it with a studio setup, and that means you've got full studio lighting, which is bright. I was, it, it, uh, I've been through 
two uh, points for the Doctor, three different sets of eye drops. It just wasn't making any kind of impact. It later emerged that I was in agony because I'd been for an eye test uh, about a day or so before I left for Australia, and the test machine for my eyes had blown plastic debris into my left eye. Uh, so I actually had shards of plastic embedded in my eyeball, which was what was causing the problem. But they were so tiny, they couldn't be seen without specialist equipment. So uh, not a fun thing about glasses, but uh, that's my abiding eyesight-related story. MP? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, come on, so I don't have answers for all the questions that come in. Some of these people have serious problems. James Counter, you're the worst. Uh, kidding aside, we love you, James. Uh, Kevin Frederico, MP, what's the real story of your hard drive crash? Was Christoph Bushu behind it? Almost oh, Lord. Can you confirm that he used his trusty hammer um, or pour the cheapest sparkling wine all over your main laptop? He says, Goodwin better keep his laptop guarded. I, I am on to, uh, I'm on to what you are sharing here kev yeah uh here's what happened 30 minutes before the start of the first indycar practice session of the year round one day one session one i'm in charge of reporting and covering it all 30 minutes before screen goes blank on my monitor that my laptop's plugged into and it starts to sound like uh hamsters being thrilled put through a meat grinder live hamsters was one kish involved well if it was fish it would have been kish hey we got a new hashtag um yeah so yeah that wasn't fun um not at all so yeah thanks for asking though now here though i went i had stepped away from the office and came back in and that's what happened did bushu get in when I had stepped out, uh, we don't have cameras inside the house, so I don't know if I could prove this in a court of law, but I do believe the most dickish sports car driver in the history of ever had to be involved somehow. Um, where else do we go here, my friend? Um, let's have a quick look. Nikki Team uh, in Aston Martin. Guy in a grumpy bear suit says, saw Nikki Team in Audi. The NLS, that's the what used to be VLN ring racing at the Nürburgring last weekend. Is he still an Aston Martin factory driver or all of Aston's factory GT team gets shut down in favour of F1? That would be, he did all of Aston. Okay, right. The answer is, yes, he's still an Aston Martin factory driver. Um, he will be doing uh, customer racing in GT3. We don't know quite where at some point in the next season to come. And I think, as I've said before on Twisk, uh, all of Aston's factory driver squad were given the opportunity to sign contracts for 2021. All bar one did so. The outlier uh, was Alex Lynn because he'd already got nailed in with a... Uh, from the air contract and as we now know Alex will be back in LMP2 with United All the Sports alongside uh, Paul DiResta for Le Mans and there may well be other stuff to come for him but no, Nicky absolutely um, is the last of Martin Factory driver this world, that would have been by the way his second uh, appearance 
third appearance for Phoenix because he also raced for Phoenix in the Asian Mon Series LMP2. Uh, the family has a long connection with the uh, German team and uh, we're very happy to be in amongst old friends uh, in uh, Abu Dhabi. I can tell you, actually, Dubai was where Nicky actually raced. Uh, but uh, no, uh, I think he likely will show up again in a Phoenix Audi, but uh, he holds an Aston Martin factory contract, as do all the rest bar Alex. There we go. One for, one for you? Uh, sure, throw it my way, or do I take it myself? Uh, no, just I was going to ask you to pick one up, but let me chuck one to you. Um... Sean Crockett says, fun in relation to motorsport stuff. What have you seen and thought, wow, what a bargain, and bought it only to find it wasn't quite what it seems? Hashtag me personally, couldn't resist a replica Aston Martin shirt. I suspect that that tweet came with a picture. Uh, I've not seen the tweet, but I'm guessing it's not remotely a replica Aston Martin shirt. A replica Aston Martin shirt has me fascinated. Uh, someone taking the time to copy an Aston Martin <laughs> shirt. That, uh, that has me blown away. Uh, I would assume you're talking about memorabilia here instead of cars and whatnot. Uh, huh. I've got, I've, I mean, I'll chuck a couple in while you ever think. Um, I did fairly recently pick up from ebay uh something which i thought that looks a remarkable bargain it was a kind of period sports car kind of reference book as it looked and it looked interesting kind of uh, to, to add to my teetering pile of stuff that will have to wait, wait till i stop working full time before i ever get to read them and i paid a reasonably modest amount of money for it it turned out to be basically a giveaway pamphlet um, so it literally was a kind of gatefold uh, A5 pamphlet, four sides. I thought I bought a book for a reasonably cheap amount of money. I actually paid rather too much money for something that should have been given away free in the 1960s, but there you go. Um, th- there's there's any amount of it. Anybody that remembers DSC of old uh, will remember my good friend Mark Housen, uh, now retired from uh, journalism and runs his own business, Um and Mark was famous within his group of friends, uh, within the Daily Sports Car family, and I've absolutely no doubt uh, with his ever-suffering uh, wife, Diane, for going to Le Mans when he was still uh, going as a fan, getting comprehensively drunk, and then spending absolutely too much money on something utterly ludicrous uh, from one of the... the, uh, the uh, the uh, manufacturer stands in the in the village, uh, including I have to say he showed me. I'm trying to think which what uh, what team it was. It was not a fashionable team, and I strongly suspect it was the most expensive item of merchandise they had. It was some kind of kind of biker jacket type thing, and he, I remember him telling me what he'd pay for it. I I, I think people have paid less money for planets, um, and. Yes, he, he lived to regret that one. And I, I don't know. Anything? Yeah, I know. It's not a, maybe a, a regret or didn't exactly match what I thought it was going to be. I know that maybe it's a timing thing. Uh, last year, NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace, driving for possibly the most southern team in the series, 
that being uh, Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, they, after George Floyd's murder, uh, they ran a one-off Black Lives Matter livery. And it was just, A, amazing, trying to think that in my lifetime, that ha- A, that happened in NASCAR. <laughs> and holy crap, it happened with Richard Petty Motorsports. I said, well, I want that. So, I mean, I don't remember what it cost. It wasn't super cheap or super expensive, but uh, ordered the 118th or whatever size it was uh, version of it. And that would have been, I don't know when, Graham, um, July, June, May. I don't remember exactly. Whenever it was, ordered it tend to have it in the back of my mind, all right, I don't know if I'm going to commit the delivery date to memory, but, you know, in your mind, you're like, I ordered something. It usually takes anywhere from a week to a month for something to arrive. It didn't. Totally forgot about it. Brother, it showed up, I'm thinking, like, last November. (laughs) And so I've got this thing. It's a rectangle rectangular box and i'm like well that looks a little familiar when i order models i haven't ordered models in a forever but this seemed like a one in a lifetime thing and open it up and i was like wow well it's exactly as advertised but i'd forgotten that i'd ordered it whatever little like oh my gosh i need to have this thing that hit me that would have been sustained had it shown up within a reasonable amount of time I it just fell off my total register. If it had never shown up, I would have never even known or thought about it. So when it did show up, I'm like, all right, well, that is cool. It is exactly what it is. But, uh, yeah, five months later or however much later, uh, I don't know if I would have made that same purchase. So uh, maybe not the exact answer, but that's the one that came to mind. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to go in Hagenau as we are at the one hour and 49 minute mark? Right, let's go. I'm going to go for one more from fun. It comes from Carl Matthew Levine. NASCAR shared a video about the time a fan stole the pace car during a race at Talladega. In that vein, what's the dumbest, craziest, funniest thing you've ever seen or heard a fan do at a sports car race? Based on reputation, something tells me Sebring will be referenced. All the best to you guys. Your family's big fan of both your work. I'll add a couple of um, Le Mans bits. Uh, For those that aren't familiar with the culture of what happens at Le Mans, the campsites range from the absolutely civilised to the almost as mad as Sebring can be. Um, But you do see some extraordinary sights um, on the roads. So people basically bringing vehicles, either their pride and joy or they've modified to come down to Le Mans. We had a full golf liveried open-top double-decker. That was quite fun. There was a Renault Espace, um, which, for those that don't know what that is, the Renault Espace was the very first uh, European, what I believe you talk about on your side, the uh, the Pond MP as a minivan. Yes. And I can only tell you that this car was modified to the point of genius as the space shuttle. There was that one. Um, and then, but my favorite um, was a fleet of pretty doggy jaguar xj6 saloons 
I think there were seven of them, all done in silk cut livery. Um, uh, and liveried as slick cut, if I remember rightly, S-L-I-K cut. And I've seen a couple of these up for sale since with a premium price being actually offered for them. They did look extremely impressive um, from afar. When you got a little closer, maybe the paint job wasn't quite as good. But it, as, as a team, it looked fantastic. But my absolute favourite... In the days where we used to get the kind of some of the madness that used to extend into our large village uh, for Le Mans was um, <sighs> Leyland Vehicles, British firm that went through a variety of fairly troubled uh, identities in the late, late later later days when they were still making vans were known as LDV. Um, so I can't remember what LDV stood for. Someone will tell me. And they had a thing called the Sherpa, the Sherpa van, which was available in a kind of small van and then a large high top van. And we were sitting having a beer and uh, overly priced steak and frites outside a uh, bar in Arnage Village, just watching the madness go by and could hear the undeniable horn from the Dukes of Hazard. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out, uh, uh, out, out of the crowd came this bright orange high top van with that livery, okay, um, and it was liveried and branded as the General LDV, which I thought was. Oh. It, by the way, V8 engined because you could buy one with a Rover V8. Uh, that was uh, a version of the the van that was sold for, amongst other things, to emergency services. But it sounded fantastic. Uh, it looked absolutely amazing. But I've no doubt that was one of the worst drives to and from, and probably one of the most expensive to and from Le Mans. I love that level of madness when no one gets hurt. So you don't like the getting hurt part. That's too bad. No. Okay. I was going to say some of my favorite things that I've seen, and they don't happen often, but it's the fan who refuses to be part of the herd. That's right. <laughs> Mavericks. And I'm, we're probably talking American fans here. Uh, those who are told, no, you can't go through this area you want to go through. There's a long line, big, long, busy line to go over a bridge, to get across a track, whatever. It's the very, very rare occurrence, ones that are pretty much never publicized, and that's where you get the person who decides to run across the track. Um, again, it, it happens a couple times each year. Oh, those people, they, I, I mean, thank goodness we aren't sending in uh, air ambulances and whatnot uh i believe most times you also get photographers that do that too um, oh yeah those who yes um can at least say they were a photographer uh at one event before having their dreams crushed and being banned for life but the crazies <laughs> who decide they will not be denied and they're going to go through wherever they want and get into places and this that and the other those stand out maybe my yeah you People are testing Darwin's theory. Story that jumps out to close, Graham. 24th of Le Mans, Friday. I don't remember if it was 2014, 15, or 16, but leaving the track 
uh, not going out the main entrance, but the back entrance, which uh, shoots you out and through and under um, the yep. uh, the little overpass by the Porsche yep. curves. Uh, heading out that way and turning right, right, right. And I look up ahead, and for no reason at 5 or 6 p.m., um, there's a pretty heavy queue of cars in front of me that are stopped and not on the other side of this two lane road running right next to the circuit, just on, again, the other side of the main wall and whatnot, uh, probably getting close to the Ford chicane by that point. Uh, but there's all of a sudden a really big queue of cars stopped and I couldn't quite, I'm trying to figure out why I just want to go back and go to sleep. Why? And I look up ahead and there's 20, 25 kids ish can't tell you what nationality but i do know they had decided to play traffic cop and would not let cars go until they did whether it was a front wheel drive or rear wheel Mm -hmm. drive burnout so they forced a burnout competition from every car trying to leave the track going down this fairly well-used two-lane road um, just because they decided that's what they wanted. And so I'm sitting here going, are you kidding me? And if they weren't happy with it, they wouldn't get out of the way and unblock the road. It wasn't like, well, do yours and leave. It was do yours and we'll decide if we are pleased with your burnout performance. So the problem here depending on what someone's driving you know most vehicles aren't really that well prepared to do burnouts because they don't possess the power to do it or otherwise so some little crap box four-cylinder front-wheel drive whatever with a 109 horsepower fury ah, i don't know how entertaining that's gonna be graham they didn't care <laughs> they just wanted to what? see big what? drag racing burnouts and so that's what was taking so long and i'm trying to think can i turn around and there there's more of a crowd building more of a crowd building i'm like oh this is this is not turning out well so however many cars ahead of me went i was getting very angry by this point and there were probably four or five kids these guys were you know they looked early 20s that kind of thing and they were very adamant and so part of me was like I know I can get out and probably take three of them, but there's five of them that are really passionate about this. And then they've got a bunch of other drunk, belligerent friends around them. I get out of the car. I'm going to get my ass worn out by them. So, uh, so beating up the people who were annoying me wasn't an option. So what I did was stay really close to the car in front of me that did whatever burnout and just rolled with them when as they were doing the burnout uh and they tried to get in front of my car i don't remember i think it was it was actually a car that probably could have done a really nice burnout it was some sort of higher power audi uh but they started to kind of crowd around the right front and i don't know if i hit any of them but i know that um how's this i can't tell you and i wasn't going all that fast but i can tell you one thing for sure is they're protesting and trying to jump in front of the car i just wasn't stopping so I figured if you guys have decided what your entertainment is going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to meet you right there. You're going to be my entertainment. You might be riding on the hood of this damn Audi all the way back to the hotel or beneath or otherwise totally up to you. Um, 
and so I was able to uh, sneak around a couple of the more uh, belligerent ones and just keep rolling. And I can't recall the languages because there were a couple, but it was some form, whether it was booze or whatever, however F-U or similar is said in this beautiful conglomeration of nationalities that comes together for the 24 hours of Le Mans each year, they shared the uh, how to say bad things to someone who displeased them as I motored away. Fantastic. Will you be pleased to hear that that sort of thing happens rather less now because uh, that only degenerated in in, uh, later years to the point where unpleasant things were not only said but also thrown. Cars were damaged. Uh, There was a habit for quite a time of... Uh, unpleasant substances being loaded into super soakers for anybody that displeased the the crowd, and uh, some some years later, we what well, we do now every year have the how can I put this? Not too easy to put a smile on their face. CRS riot police now turn up to stop that kind of thing from happening. Principally, by the way, because. Broadly speaking, where you're describing that incident happened, there was a very nasty incident where I think it was a Ferrari uh, hit another car head on and then drove off, leaving someone injured and the car heavily damaged. Uh, So a lot of that nonsense has stopped. I love the fun aspects of it, but when it gets to the stage where they're putting people at risk, that, that the fun tends to evaporate pretty darn quickly, doesn't it? So um, sadly... I think some of the madness has kind of gone away. Uh, the festival atmosphere, though, I'm sure will return when we've got fans back. I think, MP, we're about done, aren't we? You're the sheriff, birthday boy. You tell well, me what, what we gonna, are. That's what we're going to we're, we're damn well done, and I've damn well said it. So it's t- time to, to damn well say thank you very much indeed to Cooper Tyres. Thank you very much indeed to the Justice Brothers and, of course, to TorontoMotorsport.com. Uh, who help us to fund this madness. Uh, Thanks particularly to you, MP. Uh, And of course, as we always say uh, to all of our listeners, keep sending in the questions. We'll get back to a more uh, rounded uh, show next week when I'll be in Spa-Francorchamps for the WEC prologue and the opening race of the WEC season. Uh, For now, he's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. This has been the Weekend Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. We'll see you next week. Hey, the hard drive didn't blow up. I think we recorded it. Holy cow.